0: Friends, pray with me. Holy God, Mothering God, we ask you to be present in this space, to bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, so that they may be good and pleasing to you. Amen. When I'm feeling kind of down or maybe lonely or maybe I'm needing a good dose of the warm fuzzies, those loving feelings, one of my favorite things to do to comfort myself or to just bring me a little spark of joy is to watch my baby video. When I was younger, back when my family had a VHS system, I watched that video so many times that my parents were concerned the tape was going to burn up and my childhood memories would be lost forever. I loved getting to see snapshots of my family when I was just a baby. My first Halloween, I dressed up as a pumpkin, like most babies do. Early holidays spent with extended family members. And of course, all of this was sprinkled in with the occasional snippet of Star Trek episodes, because I'm pretty sure my dad recorded my baby video over old episodes of Next Generation. It was the perfect representation of my family. Though the video was technically my baby video, technically about me, I guess, I didn't really watch it to see my goofy, weird younger self. I watched it to see my mom and my dad starting out and growing as new parents. All the goof-ups that were caught on camera, like my dad testing the quality of our giant video camera, the zoom. And uh, focusing for about five minutes on our living room wallpaper, it was very exciting. Or maybe the inappropriate jokes that were caught on camera that I didn't really understand until I was 18 years old. (laughs) But what I really watched it for was the love. The amazing love that both my parents showed to me that shaped me into the person that I am today. One of my favorite clips in the video was actually of my dad and I. He had clearly just gotten home from work. He was still in his postal uniform and he was trying to entertain a babbly, cranky one-year-old while mom was out. Oh, he tried everything. He tried playing games with me, putting me on his shoulders and bouncing me while I tried to pull chunks of his hair out and hit the top of his head. Um, He tried making me laugh until I gave the biggest belly laughs. But, in those quiet moments in between giggles and fun, all I could do was shout and cry for my mama. My dad just sighed in resignation and said, well, why don't you ever say that when she's here? My mom taught me so much growing up. She taught me how to use power tools and mow the lawn, she showed me the best kind of soup to make when I felt sick. She frequently reteaches me how to make rice because I'm just really bad at it. But the one thing that she taught me, the most important lesson that has shaped me and molded me was how to love. In our scripture text today, Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper and reminding them of the most important lesson he taught them, how to love one another. He tells them that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. He commands them to love one another as he has loved them. And this conversation takes place right before his arrest and his trial and crucifixion. It's a part of the farewell discourse between Jesus and the disciples. The way that Jesus talks, mentioning laying down his life for his friends, it's almost as if he's speaking from that post-resurrection perspective. His words are not necessarily meant for before the trauma of the crucifixion, but for after. For when his friends, his disciples, would need to be reminded of how deeply and powerfully, Jesus loves them. And his words are grounded and held by his victory of love over the world that happens in the resurrection. But the love that Jesus is reminding the disciples of is not a feeling that he holds in his heart for them, it's a transformative love rooted in action, a love that is already shaping and molding them to be the resurrection people he needs them to be. His love is grounded in things that are real and tangible in this world. Jesus says there is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus tells them that they are no longer his servants but his friends. Just moments before this passage, Jesus had bent low, wrapping a towel around his waist and washing the disciples' feet. Work that was meant for servants. He did this to show them his love. How love can transform our relationships, how we connect and relate to one another. And he shows that transformative love again in this passage when he explains that the people gathered around him on this last night were not only servants who would obey his teachings, but they were his friends. The word for friend in Greek, phylos, in this passage, uh, comes from the Greek word love, philio. So when Jesus calls the disciples his friends, he's calling them the ones who are loved. Just as my mother's love for me, the way that she taught me to be an agent of love and kindness in this world, transformed me and shaped me into the person I am today, so did Jesus' love for the disciples transform them, and it transforms us every day. The disciples went from doers of the work of love for the sake of their master to beloved friends who spread the good news of the risen Christ. I once heard a friend of mine in seminary call his significant other his accomplice in love. And that is what the disciples became. Jesus' love for them guided them beyond his death and resurrection and transformed them into his accomplices. I just adore that image, that word, accomplice. It implies decisive action, a helping, an enabling. There are more complicated connotations to it too. For me, accomplice always had the association of being a part of a crime, of working against the established law somehow. But if we think about it, that isn't really unlike Jesus's ministry. The work that Jesus did, the word that he spread of love and breaking social boundaries, and the kingdom of God that ruled over earth, went against much of the culture and the law of the time. Jesus' message of a God of love who was sovereign over the earth was not a message that the Roman government could handle. And so Jesus was crucified as an example, as an enemy of this state and he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus' teachings and his ministry give us a deeper, more profound understanding of love. It shows us that it is more than just words or listening to a friend when they've had a bad day. It's real action for the sake of the beloved. It is a mothering type of love that tenderly guides teaches, corrects, and advocates for. When we love like Christ, we become his accomplices in love. In March of this year, I remember reading a news article of a parent that expressed that kind of transformative love for their child. Brandon Bulwer, a lifelong resident of Missouri, a Christian and a son of a Methodist preacher, stood up in front of Missouri lawmakers on behalf of his daughter who was transgender and whose name did not make the papers. He attended the hearing without his daughter's knowledge on her birthday and addressed legislation that was being put before lawmakers that would ban transgender students from participating fully in school recreational activities. He admitted in his speech that he wasn't a perfect father. And for a long time, he didn't understand everything that his daughter was going through and made her talk, dress, and act like a boy. But his love for her and seeing how heartbroken and miserable she was at having to pretend to be someone she wasn't, it transformed him. He understood that real love, the kind that sent Jesus to the cross, was not of words or feelings, but of action, a love that did whatever it took to expand the earthly understanding of the kingdom, for God's kingdom has no limits, has no boundaries, and does not exclude. A love that transforms both the lovers and the beloved. A love that taught him to reject anything that put him at odds with his daughter, expressing the fullness of who she was. He was transformed by love, just as the disciples were transformed by the love of Jesus. Brandon wanted his daughter to have her childhood. And so he pleaded with lawmakers to reject the ban. Perhaps the relationship between Brandon and his daughter is not perfect, and maybe it is full of wounds, just as Jesus' resurrected body carried wounds, but love allowed the transformation to begin, and he started to bear the fruits of love. Near the end of the passage we read today, Jesus says, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Though it might be easy to draw communion connections from that metaphor of fruit, communion was not the center of this discourse like it is in the other Gospels. A few verses earlier, Jesus gives the final I AM statement of the Gospel of John. He calls himself the true vine in God's vineyard. And those who are faithful to him are the branches. This, this metaphor is very reminiscent of Isaiah 5, where God's song of the vineyard is located. In Isaiah, God describes the people as vines in a vineyard that he tenderly cared for, expecting sweet and good fruit. But the song becomes a lament when the Israelite people stray away from God's commandments, rejecting the widow and the orphan and allowing all manner of oppression to spread through their community. And so God destroys the vineyard completely. But here in John, through Jesus, God offers a new metaphor. He says that He is Jesus is the true vine, and all who love him, not just love him, but follow his commandments, will bear good fruit. They, were, they will bear good fruit and do the work of love in this world. They will feed the hungry, care for the sick, protect the vulnerable, and stand up against systems that perpetuate injustices of any kind and stop oppression that crushes the full expression of God's love. They will be his accomplices in the work of love that God has called all of us to. When I was young, I would stay the weekend at my grandparents' house, and on one Friday night, I was saying goodbye to my mom, telling her over and over, a sort of obsessive amount, how much I loved her. And when my mom finally left, my grandma turned to me and said, why do you say I love you to your mom so much? I told her because I wanted my mom to know how much I was going to miss her, and how much I loved her, I wanted her to remember. My grandma replied to me, well, if you love your mom so much, then she'll know it, she'll see it, and you won't need to say it all the time. Don't get me wrong, I still tell my mom that I love her way too much, probably. But now that I'm older, I think I understood what my grandma meant. When we love others, when we truly love, we are guided by Christ into a love that transforms us. And that depth of care and kindness and love is evident in our fruits, in our good works, and in our action in the world. We become accomplices to the transformative work of love. And as the Father loves Christ, and as Christ loves us, so we will love others. Amen.